0: In first century Palestine, there were no cable television networks. No Fox News. Not even that other one. There were no radio talk shows that had bulletins at the top of the hour of breaking news. There was no internet. No Facebook, no Twitter, no ability to text somebody and tell them what was going on. There was none of that. In fact, there weren't even any newspapers. The way that people found out or heard about something happening was someone came and told them. Word of mouth. Somebody came and told. Somebody found out. Something saw something. And they came and they told everyone they knew what was happening, what was going on. So on a spring day in Jerusalem, as it was being crammed in by people arriving for the upcoming Passover, that being a pilgrim feast, People were coming in from all over the nation, coming for this pilgrim feast to Jerusalem. And the city is packed. The city is crammed. Just filled with people everywhere. People, people all over. And on this particular occasion, the city is abuzz with the latest news of what has happened. Word is spreading like wildfire that some guy up there in Bethany was dead. And he was raised from the dead. But I mean, he was really dead. He was dead and he was in the tomb and he was dead for four days. And this Jesus of Nazareth that we have heard about doing all of these things, this, this man Jesus goes to the tomb and tells him to come out. And he does. And so people are just telling people. One after another. Did you hear about what happened? Did you hear what happened in Bethany? Did you hear about this huge miracle that happened in Bethany? A dead man was raised from the dead? He's now alive again? And then, as people heard about it, more news filters in from other people that now this same Jesus who raised that Lazarus from the dead is on his way here and he's, he's riding on a donkey. He's coming down the road and he's riding on a donkey coming in to Jerusalem. Let's go see. Let's go see. Let's go find out what's going on. So you rush out, you head towards the golden gate because that's the gate that would be near that area, that road that would be coming in. So you head out there and immediately you are encountering huge crowds of people. Crowds of people shouting. Crowds of people chanting. Crowds of people lifting up their voices and saying, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And the most peculiar thing, people are laying their coats down in the road for Him to walk on. People are waving branches of all kinds. leafy branches. Palm branches. And they're putting them down for the donkey to walk on. And there He is! You see Him coming on a donkey. On those branches. On those garments. In all humility. But yet the King is coming. What a spectacle that had to be. It is like nothing else in all of the Bible. The King is coming. Now, all four Gospels have an account of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. But I'm going to ask you this morning to turn to the one in Matthew chapter 21 which Daniel read for us a few moments ago and we will begin there. Matthew chapter 21. What I would like for us to do this morning is to take apart not only what actually happened but what it meant and what it means or should mean to us. The first thing I want for us to consider is the prophecy. And so we'll pick up in verse 4 of Matthew 21. Well, I described pretty much what was going on. We're going to go back and pick up a little bit before this. But for right now, let's look at this prophecy. And it says, Now all of this took place that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This was a prophecy. Actually, it contains a portion given even from Isaiah. But most of this prophecy comes from the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 9. And verse 9. And he gave this prophecy over 700 years before this event took place. Zechariah was a sort of contemporary of Isaiah. Most believe that Isaiah may have come even a little bit after Zechariah. But they were more or less contemporaries. So it was not at all unusual that they would have included a little bit of Isaiah's prophecy in their chant as well, or in the fulfillment of the prophecy and how it worked out. So, the prophecy alluded to here, mostly from Zechariah, speaks of one coming as a king and he's riding on a donkey. Now, here's the only thing I want to take from this right now. 700 years or so Prior to this event taking place, the prophet tells you what's going to happen. And here it is taking place in front of your eyes. Do you think that they knew about this prophecy in the days of Jesus? Do you think the Pharisees knew about this prophecy from Zechariah? Oh, they sure did, as we'll see as we look into this text. They certainly knew about this. The people knew about it. And here it is. Happening today. Wow! We've read about this from the time we were little kids. In Hebrew school. And here it is. Happening today. Right before our eyes. The king is coming on a cult. Riding into the city of Jerusalem. The people rejoiced. Many of the people, as we'll see, were rejoicing and excited about what was taking place. The Pharisees, not so much. They were not excited about it. Or they were excited about it, but not in a good way. But here is this prophecy over 700 years happening just as the prophets said. Could you imagine... You know, America isn't even that old. America is not even 700 years old. Could you imagine like Ben Franklin saying, well, one day there will be a great train that will draw, ride into New York City and uh, there will be a king on it. And it happened like... I mean, First of all, we, we don't want any of that. But I mean, it would be that amazing And that's only a couple hundred, four hundred years or so. Seven hundred years. And it happens. Just as the prophet said. I always want to point out how important this is to our faith. Seeing prophecy fulfilled. What an amazing encouragement to us. I'll mention more about that. But let's look now that not only what was said by the prophet was done here, but what was done was known. Look back in chapter 21 and verse 1. What was done was known by someone. Someone knew that this was going to happen. And when they had approached approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there, and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. And if anyone says something to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. So here's our Lord. He's not in Bethpage. He's in Bethany. It's not like He snuck out at night and made some arrangement with the owner of this donkey so that when I send my disciples in in the morning, you let them have your donkey, okay? No, no, it's nothing like that. This is the sovereign God of heaven and earth who is in control of the events that are taking place. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. And so He tells His disciples to go and get this colt. The only way He could have known was by His omniscience as God. He knew the donkey would be there. He knew what the owners needed to hear. Listen, look look at Luke 19. Jesus tells them to go and to the city and the donkey will be there. And here in Luke 19, here's what we read. If you look down to verse 31, If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Thus you shall speak the Lord has need of it. Verse 32, And those who were sent went away and found it just as He had told them. And when they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. Now, for this, let's go now to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Just so that you know that the disciples didn't say, well, the Lord has need of it and just took it. (laughs) Here in Mark chapter 11, look at verse 2. Go into the village opposite you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You shall say the Lord has need of it and immediately He will send it back here. And they went away and found the colt tied at the door opposite the street and they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them and they gave them permission. It's just what Jesus said would happen. So we have two prophecies here. We have the prophecies from Zechariah, which is the main prophecy foretelling this event, and we have the prophecy of Jesus, the very son of God, telling his disciples where to go and find the cult to fulfill this prophecy, and it was just as he told them. Just as he said it would be. Two prophecies here both fulfilled. Two prophecies both happened according to the plan of God. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. There is only one thing we can conclude. Jesus, as God, sovereignly ordained this event. This is the beginning of His passion. The beginning of the end, as it were, of His ministry and His life on earth. As this donkey is taken for Him to ride on in fulfillment of the prophecy given by Zechariah. Look back to Matthew again. Chapter 21. And I want to again focus on what it says in verse 4. Now this took place that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. This took place at this exact time when the city of Jerusalem was filled with all the people from all over the nation coming in for the Passover. Just millions. Actually, they estimated it would have grown to about 2 million people that would come there for a feast like this. So, people from everywhere had come in to Jerusalem for the Passover. And right at that exact right time, and right in the exact right way, the exact thing that had been prophesied happened. It is historic. It is historic to them that were there as they saw it. It was historic to everyone that saw this event. And it is historic to us. Who read about it now. What a, uh, an amazing thing to see this prophecy fulfilled! And like I said, there's no question that this was the prophecy being fulfilled, and there's no question that we look back on it now and we can we can see what Zachariah said, and we can see what happened as Jesus rode on that donkey, that colt, into the city of Jerusalem, and we can say, "Gosh, it just it just meshes up just right. It's just right. It's exactly right," and yet the Jews that were there rejected it. They, were, they railed against Jesus, as we'll see. They were incensed against Him because of it. And to this day, to this day, the Jews say that the Messiah has not come. Look at this. Look at what happened. What are they waiting for? Is this going to happen again? Is it ever going to be like that again that this would be fulfilled? This was God entering that city. This was the Messiah coming and showing himself as such a great event recorded for us in history and i say this often and i'll continue to say it that one of the greatest one of the greatest proofs of scripture is the fulfillment of prophecy over 700 years before the prophet said this is going to happen And it did. What does that tell you about the Word of God? It's true. Remember, I keep telling you about how God Himself says in Isaiah, Who is like me, telling things before they happen? And that's what I do. I tell you things before they come to pass that you will know that I am God. And that's what this tells us. As His Scripture, as His prophecy is fulfilled. Now let's turn our attention to the people. That's the prophecy. Let's turn our attention to the people. For this, look at verse 8 of Matthew 21. We can actually begin with verse 6, with the disciples bringing the donkey as He told them. And verse 7, "...they laid on that donkey their garments..." and he sat on their garments. Verse 8, And most of the multitude spread their garments in the road. So this is what begins to happen. We see the, the multitudes flocking out to see this event. It says in verse 8, And most of the multitudes... First of all, that tells us that there were multitudes there. That means there were a lot of people. And they were coming because for the past three years, this man Jesus had been doing all kinds of miracles all around the Judean region. Healing people, curing people, feeding people. All kinds of people heard about Jesus. All kinds of people knew about Jesus. And they were coming out there to see now this Jesus who had done this tremendous miracle in the raising of Lazarus. This is the culmination of all His miracles. If you would please look at John chapter 11 again where we read John chapter 11. I read to you about the fact that Lazarus had died and he was dead for days. So much so that you look down at verse 39 as Jesus has come to the tomb and he says in verse 39, remove the stone. But Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench for he has been dead for days. He'll stink. Why? Why? Because he's dead. And his flesh, his carcass is rotting. It's pretty warm in that climate too. So, it's not a good combination. So, he's dying. He's dead. He's decaying. And so, he will stink. And yet, Jesus in verse 43 calls to him and says, Lazarus come forth, and he who was dead came forth. All of the molecules that had disintegrated in the various ways that they do. What is the stench? Molecules going into the air. How does the decay happen? Ooze going into the ground. I don't want to be too gross, but let's face it. All of that stuff happens when someone dies. Worms, maggots start eating. You know, all of that stuff. But every single one of the molecules and the atoms that made up Lazarus before he was dead are brought back together. And this man who was dead is alive. And he doesn't stink anymore. Because it's all brought back together into who he was as that man Lazarus, before he had died. What an amazing miracle. What an amazing miracle. And it showed so many. If you look at chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, so they made him supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Many, therefore, that many came to look, many came to see Lazarus as well as Jesus. If you look down a few verses to verse 9, the great multitude, therefore, of the Jews learned that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. Wouldn't you want to? I would. I'd want to go. I'd love to see Jesus, but I think I'd like to talk to Lazarus too. What's it like? What's it like to die and then come back to life? I'd like to talk to him. Can't you know that that's what people were doing there? Look what it says in verse 11. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Many of the Jews were believing in Jesus. They saw Jesus. They saw Lazarus. And many of them began to believe. And those are the people who, because of this account... Went back into Jerusalem or back to Jerusalem and started telling everyone so that news started to spread. And then, because of these things, on the next day, the great multitude had come who had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches from the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to cry out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This great miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead and the people coming to see him and the people coming to see Jesus are what began the whole account of the triumphal entry of our Lord Jesus into Jerusalem. All these multitudes hearing about this. Listening and hearing that he raised this one from the dead. Some, my brother, my brother, Shalom, he he had actually gone and talked to Lazarus and he came back and told us about it. And so all of these people hearing about this all come out. And so here's what you have then in this great account. These people coming to see Jesus, honoring him as king, praising Him for all the miracles that they had seen, is what Luke's Gospel says. They came to this praising Him for all the miracles that they had seen. So you have all the people that are up here in Bethany, over to Bethpage, down to the Mount of Olives, coming down into Jerusalem. All of these people following after Jesus as He's riding on the donkey. And then you have in Jerusalem all of these people coming up, coming out, coming to meet Him, coming to see what's going on. So you've got this great crowd coming down on Jerusalem, this great crowd coming out of Jerusalem, and in the middle of all of them is Jesus riding on a donkey. And as He's riding on the donkey, many people, because of all that they had heard and all that they had seen, believed that they had found their Deliverer. At that time at least, they believed that God had sent the Anointed One. That God had sent their Deliverer. So they had been carried away in this euphoric state and began to bow before Him, to cry out to Him, to worship Him. And in the process they laid, as the text says, if you look at the text, it says, that they laid their garments. Let's look back to Matthew, in fact. Matthew 21. Matthew 21, verse 8. And I want you to notice this. You have all this multitude, and it says most of the multitude. That would mean the, the majority of the people that were there, the majority of this great multitude, did this. They spread their garments in the road. Do you notice that the first thing it says is their garments? It doesn't say palm branches. It says they spread their garments. In fact, in the parallel accounts in Mark's Gospel, it says they they laid leafy branches or in John's Gospel, palms. But in Luke's Gospel, it doesn't even mention branches of any kind. It just mentions garments. Garments were the Main thing, apparently, that they were laying in the street before Jesus came. So they took off their coats, they took them off, and they laid them down on the road as a sign of honor for Him to ride on them as He came. To soften the road, to make it more pleasing for Him, to keep the dust down so He wouldn't get dusty, All of these things they did. And it says predominantly with their garments. Their garments. Why don't we call this Garment Sunday? Or Coat Sunday? Because garments were the first thing that they laid in the road. And then it does say also that some took branches from trees and spread them in the road as well. All of this. All of this was honor being given to the One who was coming. All of this was treatment worthy of and beyond anything that had been seen for a king. For a king. It's like what we do today. You roll out the red carpet. So that the dignitary walks on the carpet rather than on the tarmac or the runway or wherever they may be. They roll out the red carpet as a sign of honor to the dignitary. That's what was going on. They were honoring Him as a king. Laying in the road for Him. These garments, their own garments, or these palm branches with treatment worthy of a king. Carried away with the euphoria and worship of this One who was coming. And along with that, they cried out, So we've looked at the prophecy. We've talked about the people and what they were doing. Let's talk about the proclamation and what they were saying. Verse 9 here in Matthew 21. And the multitudes going before Him and those following after were crying out saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed! is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I'm just going to open this up for a few minutes. The term Hosanna is a two-part term. It includes supplication along with adoration. The supplication was like a prayer. That's what we printed there in the bulletin. Save us, O Lord, we beseech Thee. It was like a Prayer, a supplication being given to God. Hosanna! Save now! Save us, Lord, we beseech Thee! Calling out to God. And the adoration was a term of praise. Addressing this man as if he was worthy of the praise being given to God. That's what really bothered the Pharisees. Because as they cried out to Him, Hosanna! They were giving Him adoration. Adoration. The next thing that they say is that he, they call Him Thou Son of David. Ascribing to Him kingship and the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant found in Second Samuel chapter 7. The promise that David would never fail to have one upon His throne. And here is one that they are calling Thou Son of David. And then we go on and see that they're saying that He is the One who comes in the name of the Lord. This was them saying, this is the Blessed One by whom we will be blessed. The Blessed One by whom we will be blessed. He comes in the name of the Lord. And this was certainly a cry reserved for the Lord's anointed one. This is the blessed one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the Messiah. And then they say, Hosanna in the highest. In the highest. This is indeed the One from Jehovah. These are strong words, and they're clear, calling Jesus the One who comes in the name of God, and they're giving Him worship, ascribing to Him deity. And when you put all of these things together, they're saying that this is the One through whom salvation will come. This is the Savior. Can you imagine that? All these people ascribing to Jesus the fact that He was the Savior. Didn't happen very often in His three years of ministry, did it? Nothing like this ever happened. This was like the pinnacle of His ministry. that You could not do anything greater for a man than what was being done for Jesus here on this day. All of these multitudes in for the Passover, giving to Him veneration, giving to Him worship, laying their garments, laying their coats in the pathway as He rode. All of this worship being given To Jesus, I am struck by the lack of enthusiasm seen in the average church today to give this same Jesus this kind of worship. Now, I know these people are fickle, and I'll show you that in a minute. But still, doesn't He still deserve this kind of worship from you? From me, praising, glorifying, crying out to Him, Hosanna. This is our Jesus. This is the One who went on to give His life for us. Does He not deserve this kind of worship from us? He is the King the glorious, wonderful, mighty Savior, King of kings. We ought to give Him this worship every time we gather in your homes, in your life. He is worthy. He is worthy. That's the whole spectacle. That's the reason for this. To show the world and to show us This is our Savior worthy of our worship. And though we are sinful men, we do strive to give it to Him. That's what worship is like, ought to be like. That's what we ought to be doing. Crying out to Him, Hosanna in the highest! Blessed is our Savior! Every Sunday. But I said these people are fickle. I wonder how many of these were involved in chapter 27 of the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 27, when Jesus is before Pilate on trial, we see in verse 11, now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor questioned him saying, are you the king of the Jews? And he said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he made no answer. Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge so that the governor was quite amazed. Now, at the feast feast time, the governor was accustomed to release to the multitude one prisoner whom they wanted. And you know what happened. The Jews riled up the crowd. If you look down a little bit further, verse 22, Pilate said, what should I do with Jesus? Because they were crying out, give us Barabbas. And what shall I do with Jesus? And they said, let him be crucified. And he said, why, what evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more saying, let Him be crucified! Verse 20 tells us that the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus put to death. They had persuaded these people to cry out to Pilate, let Him be crucified! How many of the same people that witnessed Jesus coming into Jerusalem on that colt and were crying, Hosanna! We're here crying, Crucify Him! My point is that we can't be persuaded by a crowd. (laughs) Don't be persuaded by a crowd. Don't be persuaded by what people are shouting and cheering in one place or another. Our faith is individual faith brought about by the work of God and the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. And our faith, when it's genuine, will stand no matter what the rest of the crowd does tomorrow. So even if the rest of the crowd all of a sudden says, look, uh, Jesus is only one prophet. There's another. Let's, uh, let's add Joseph Smith or let's add Mohammed or something else. We will say, No! There is one mediator between God and man. There is one Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will not deny Him. We will not deny His Word. We will not be swayed by crowds. That's particularly important to us. Just because we're not the big church doesn't mean we're wrong. We stand firm on the truth of God's Word and what God's Word teaches. No matter how big or small, we will always go by the Scriptures and the historic Gospel and sound theology in what we believe. All right, we've seen the prophecy, we've seen the people, we've seen the proclamation. Now let's consider for a few moments the Pharisees. For this, Look at Luke 19. Luke 19. Down to verse 38. We can start on verse 37. And as He was now approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God, glorifying with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to Him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They were upset. Why? Because they knew what the people were saying. They understood what this meant. That they were exalting Jesus and honoring Jesus as God. This was glory given to God. And again in Isaiah, God says, I will not give my glory to another. And He's not. Because Jesus is God. Jesus is God, and the Pharisees understood that. That's what was being said: that Jesus was the divine Son of God, the King of Kings, the Messiah. God has come. The Pharisees understood it. Why don't the Mormons get it? Why don't I mean that they don't believe that Jesus was the divine Son of God? Neither does Islam, or so many other religions and cults. They don't believe Jesus was the divine Son of God. Oh, He never claimed to be God. Oh, really? We'll look at that in a moment. They knew what He was saying and they believed that the people were blaspheming, calling Him God. And despite the fact that they were seeing right before their eyes the fulfillment of Zechariah, and they knew it, they still denied. They still rebelled. And so often, something, you bring the gospel to people, you tell them, you see, you make them see in the scriptures, here is the son of God, here is Jesus, here is who he is. No! Can't be true! Bible is just a book written by men! God has to do something in your heart, and he didn't do it to these Pharisees. God has to do something in our hearts. The Pharisees didn't see Him as the Messiah. The Pharisees saw Him as a threat. They were in danger of losing everything. He was taking away all these people. Remember? Multitudes. All these people. All these people were cheering Jesus. Honoring Jesus. Worshipping Jesus. Where does that leave them? Nothing we're going to lose everything that's what they say in in John's gospel we're in danger of losing our our nation we're in danger of losing everything so they saw Jesus as a threat he had to be stopped and it has to happen now before we lose our lives our livelihoods, our way of life, our nation. That's the way the Pharisees saw it. But as we close, how do you see it? How do you see it? The prophecy, the people, the proclamation, the Pharisees, I see him as the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace this is who we see our lord as this event brings to our minds brings to our hearts a picture of jesus who is the prince of peace look back to matthew chapter 21 because here's the question in verse 9 they're they're singing praises hosanna to the highest in verse 10 when they had entered in jerusalem and all the city was stirred saying Who is this? Who is this? Ask yourself that question. Who is this man? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? I say He's the Prince of Peace. I say He is the one who entered in fulfillment of the prophecy. And I, with many of those people that were there, would be inclined to give Him all the worship that He was worthy of. This text tells us that the city was shaken. The city was shaken by what happened. One of the accounts. The whole place was shaken up. Are you? Are you moved by the power of your Savior who, as we said, orchestrated this? It is the hand of God that brings fulfillment of the prophecy. It is the hand of God that brings the Son of God to give His life for the people of God. What an amazing event. What an astonishing event. This was an event like no other in the Bible. Who could this possibly be? The answer is right in the text. I have to ask you to turn back to Luke very briefly. And we'll go back to Matthew one more time. But I mentioned to you from Luke 19 that the Pharisees said to him in verse 39 of Luke 19, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They thought they were blaspheming. Rebuke your disciples for what they were saying. And here's the question. Did he? Did Jesus rebuke the disciples? The children, the people, the multitudes who were crying out and ascribing to Him divinity, did He rebuke them? Did He say to them as angels do in other places like Revelation when men bow before them, oh don't bow to me! Or when Paul was bringing the gospel and healing people and they would bow, don't, don't bow before me! I am a man just like you! Is that what Jesus says? No. Jesus accepted the praise that they offered. We just sang that in the hymn. He accepted the praise that they offered. How could he do that? Because he's God. It's the only way. He not only accepted the praise that they offered, But in verse 40, he declares that if they did not cry out, then even creation would cry out. Because I am God. I am the Creator of these stones. And that if the people were not to cry out, the stones would cry out because they are smarter than you Pharisees. They know I am the great I am. They know I am God. And so He did accept the praise that they offered clearly signifying that He is the One they said He was. The Blessed One come to bless. The Anointed One The God who is God. Come among us. That is our Savior. So either Jesus was who He said He was and was whom they ascribed this praise or He was a madman. He was out of His mind and He was insane. You realize that even His mothers and His brothers thought that for a while. That they thought that He was out of His mind. So either Jesus was out of his mind and insane or a total raving maniac liar orchestrating all this and and he tricked everybody and he did all this, but he's really just a lunatic liar or he's God. Or he's God. The Prince of Peace. Who do you say I am? Is what he asked the disciples. And then back in Matthew chapter 21, who is he? Who is this? Who do you say that he is? I believe that he is the Messiah the divine Son of God who has come to dwell among men to give His life a ransom for many. That He will do in the next few hours. Give His life a ransom for many. This triumphal entry into Jerusalem was the entry of God before the people. This is God come to men. Do you believe that? Do you believe that He was who He said He was? And if you do, verse 9 ought to be on your lips
1: Hosanna!
0: To the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And we would do as they did in verse 8. Bow before Him. Worship Him. Praise Him. All the time. For here is our God. Here is our Savior. Let's pray.